Buck Benny, a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again, podcast listeners. This is Buck Benny speaking. It's 2018, and I thought I'd better come on and give you a little explanation of what's been going on, because a few folks have been asking and just concerned about me and my health and things since the podcast has kind of been sporadic at best recently. And uh, I'm generally okay. Um... I've just had a lot going on. I've, in dealing with the podcast over these last decade or so, there's been times when I've had personal issues going on and still been able to do the podcast, or I've had uh, professional issues going on or still be able to deal with the podcast, or health issues going on, been able to deal with the podcast, family issues going on, been able to deal with the podcast. I've never had a situation where I've had all of them at the same time, and that's what's been going on here the last number of weeks. Uh, my dad is um, 90, he's going to turn 91 here in a few months, and he, he wasn't doing so hot, though now he's doing better. I've had my own health issues going on here the last uh, few months and uh, continue to deal with that. And then on top of that, um, at work I'm uh, in charge of a number of uh, projects that uh, are very big and take a lot of my time and a lot of my thinking uh, so it's made the podcast had to be pushed kind of to the back. And, um, I just thought I would let you guys know that that's kind of what's been going on and it'll probably keep going on that way for a number of weeks in the future. So I will try and keep it as consistent as I can on the podcast. There's just going to be some gaps and some slip ups and some things that are going to happen. And that's just sort of life. Uh, but I will do my, my best and I thank you all for your concerns about me and, um, generally, like I say, okay, it's just a stressful time for me right now. And um, what else? I guess uh, just know that uh, the podcast is still really important to me and I'll keep on working on it. You're just going to have more episodes that maybe don't have introductions, that used to have introductions because I won't have the time to make them. Or you'll be getting episodes slightly late. Or for certain episodes, I'll be skipping them. It just depends on how everything goes. Uh, anyway, I hope you're going to enjoy tonight's episodes as it is more of our um, Mother's Day episodes. We have a Mother's Day episode of um, the Phil Harris show, which should be really good. Some great Jack Benny shows for us. And uh, the the other thing was, uh, just in tripping things up last week, I presented... <laughs> the 1953 season of Jack Benny twice, and usually I do 48 and 53, so I'm going to present 48 twice to kind of get us back on speed, so I entered it uh, yesterday for Saturday, uh, an episode, and then for today, um, I'll also have an episode of the 1948 season of the Jack Benny show and the Phil Harris show, and the 1938 season as well. Well, made both episodes kind of, both things kind of nice is that there was Mother Day, Mother's Day episodes on both. So you're going to have Mother's Day episodes on last night's presentations and Mother's Day episodes on today's presentation as well. So I hope everybody has a great Mother's Day, and uh, we will see you folks next time. And thank you for supporting the podcast, as always. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show from the 19... 19- 47-48 season. Tonight's episode, we wrap up the Oscar arc that we've had for the last number of episodes. 
And to wrap it up, who better than to have Ronald and Benita Coleman back on as guests again. So this is going to be a really fun episode. Uh, And speaking of Ronald and Benita, uh, there's some cool things headed our way with uh, dealing with Ronald and Benita. First off, the Jack Benny DVD set that I've been talking about recently uh, from Shout Factory. It's called The Lost uh, Episodes. This um, set includes one of those lost episodes being... Um, the episode that starred Ronald and Benita Coleman as the guests for Jack. Um, and it's their only appearance that they make on the show. It's from 1956. I would have loved it if they would have come on a little sooner, but they decided to have 1956 be their first appearance. And unfortunately, Ronald Coleman died a couple years after that, so he never got a chance to appear for a second time on Jack's show. Uh, I've really been looking forward to seeing, we've heard, of course, Ronald and Benita so many times, but seeing them interact with Jack, I think, would be a lot of fun. So uh, it's going to be great watching those episodes. Of course, after Ronald Coleman died, they wanted to bring some more of the classic episodes that Ronald Coleman was in from the Jack Benny show onto the television show. And the way they did that was have Jimmy Stewart take on uh, some of those shows. And Jimmy Stewart did a fantastic job, but I would have loved to have seen Ronald Coleman uh, recreate for television what he did in radio. And here we get a chance to at least see one of those shows that has been uh, lost, or not necessarily lost, but unavailable for over 50 years. It was uh, done about 55 years ago, I guess. Anyway, uh, and if you're looking forward to the whole Shout Factory um, collection, which I know a lot of you are, uh, I am suggesting, of course, that folks get it directly through Shout Factory because that is the way to have our money speak the loudest to Shout Factory and say, hey, we would like more sets like this, and I hope they're going to put out more. Uh, The other thing is by buying it directly from Shout Factory, Whereas if you buy it through Amazon or any other retailer, you're going to get it at the end of July. But if you get it directly through Shop Factory, you get it at the end of June, which is uh, over a month earlier that you're going to be able to get it. And then it's general release. Also, if you get it direct from Shop Factory, you get the bonus uh, DVD that has um, The Horn Blows at Midnight. Uh, Not the version, of course, uh, from the movies, not the film version, but a version that was done for television that is uh, supposed to be even funnier than the movie was. It's kind of a a spoof on the movie, in a way, and a very knowing uh, wink to the fact the movie didn't do very well. So it should be a, a lot of fun, and again, something that had been lost for years and years and years. So that is a great bonus, certainly uh, getting it early and getting that bonus DVD makes it really worth the price of admission. And the fact that uh, you get an episode, we had talked yesterday, or, or day before I guess, that uh, you get an episode with Giselle McKenzie that uh, has not been available for years, and you get this episode of course with the Colemans that has not been available for 50 years. Uh, 
folks like John Wayne are in some episodes, um, uh, Harry Truman, just uh, famous uh, person after famous person, star after star are on those episodes. going to be a great collection, so I can't wait to get them in my hot little hands. I will include a link for you to pre-order from Shout Factory so that as soon as it comes out you'll be able to get them. Um, so I'll make sure that I have that way you can get to it from tonight's episode. Um, the other thing about the Coleman's is that this summer we are doing uh, for the podcast Summer of the Stars. And one of the stars that we'll have this summer is Ronald and Benita Coleman in their own series that sprung off of them being on Jack's show. And so it'll be fun to present Halls of Ivy to you, which is uh, their radio show. And uh, that will be a lot of fun to be able to present some of the early episodes of Halls of Ivy to you folks and see if you like that. Uh, a little more serious sometimes than Jack's show, and sometimes not. It's kind of a, a dramedy in a way, I guess you might say. Anyway, so enjoy tonight's episode. Make sure you order, pre-order your... Uh, DVD set from Shop Factory. I think you will definitely enjoy it. And we will see you next time. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. At 59, American. Lucky Strike and Lucky Strike alone offers you important evidence gathered in the tobacco country by the world-famous Crossley Pole. This evidence reveals the smoking preference of auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, the men who really know tobacco. Here's what the Crosley Poll found. For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. These experts know their business. Their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike, we believe, has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Luckies and to the real, deep-down smoking enjoyment you may expect from fine tobacco. And when these veteran tobacco experts name Lucky Strike first choice for their own personal smoking enjoyment, then you know. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. So smoke the smoke tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike. Remember, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. <laughs> The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, we take you out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills where we find Rochester cleaning out the attic. Well, I got all the magazines stacked up. Now I'll move this box over and... Hello, what's this? Hmm, I never saw these before. A bundle of Mr. Benny's old love letters. I wonder if I should... No, I'd be a heel if I read them. <laughs> but what's the difference? Nobody will know I'm a heel but me. <laughs> I ain't gonna tell anybody. I think I'll open this pink one first. Well, look at this. My darling Blossom Boy. I have been thinking of you all day. 
I still thrill to the memory of how you said goodnight to me and crushed me in your powerful arms. <laughs> powerful arms. <laughs> that can't be the boss. I know how excited you must be about having been elected captain of our school baseball football team, but I can't get over your reluctance to talk about it. You're so modest. Modest? <laughs> that can't be the boss. <laughs> We sure had fun celebrating your election at the ice cream parlor, and wasn't it lucky that I had my purse with me when you discovered you forgot your money? That's the boss. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me to go to the junior prom with you on Friday night, but I'd better meet you on the corner. You see, Daddy is very angry with you, and in a way, I don't blame him. I know that business is business, but why did you have to foreclose on our house? <laughs> And another thing... Oh, Rochester, uh, now when you finish up here in the attic, I... What are you doing with those old letters? Uh, I'm putting them away. Rochester, have you been reading my old love letters? Oh, no, boss, not me. Well, then put them away and straighten up this pile of books in the corner. Okay, Blossom Boy. <laughs> oh, so you have been reading them. Just one of them, boss. The one that signed Eloise. Eloise. Oh, yes, yes, Eloise Stanley. Rochester, you should have seen her. Long, blonde, curled, big brown eyes, rosy cheeks. And when she smiled, she had the prettiest gold brace you ever saw. <laughs> 18 carats. <laughs> now, come on, let's finish straightening the attic. Now, put that carton on top of the trunk. Yes, sir. Uh, how about putting the... Boss, what are you looking at? Uh, this old picture album. Most of them were taken when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Say, who's that man in this picture here? A relative? No, no, he was my first violin teacher. May he rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, look, here's a picture of me taken when I was two years old. Look at me lying there in bed, hugging that big teddy bear. Yeah. Doggone, it's almost as big as the one you sleep with now. <laughs> Not quite. And this is my sister Florence. Uh, who's that on the other page? Oh, that's my second violin teacher. May he rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, here's a picture of my graduating class in grammar school. Gee, that's sure a nice-looking bunch of kids. Wait a minute, boss, I don't see you. Oh, I, I took the picture. I had a little photography business on the side. <laughs> now, look, here's a picture of our house in Waukegan. Sure is a nice place. Uh, who's the man standing out in front? Oh, he's my third violin teacher. Is he resting in peace? I don't know. He ran away and joined the Foreign Legion. <laughs> and Rochester, here's a picture. Oh, that must be some of my gang. We're going to rehearse here today. I'll see you later. There was a boy. They used to call him Blossom Boy. <laughs> coming, coming. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. <laughs> what, what are you giggling about, kid? Well, this morning I went out in my yard and caught a gopher. Why should I make you laugh? I got him in my shirt and he tickles. 
Well, has you got a gopher inside your shirt? No, I just said that for a joke. When you laugh? A joke? You've got no sense of humor at all. Look. No wonder you've only got one show. Listen, close the door and come inside, will you? Am I on time for rehearsal, Mr. Benny? You're the first one here. I asked you to come a little early on purpose. Did you receive your new contract, Dennis? I mailed it to you last week. Oh, yes, Mr. Benny, but I didn't like it. What was wrong? There was two cents due on the postage. <laughs> well, your raise will take care of that. Oh. Anyway, I, um, I'm glad you received it. Did you sign the contract? Oh, I was going to, but it hasn't come back from the doctor yet. What? My mother knows how you like to hide closets, so she's having it x-rayed. <laughs> oh, your mother. She's never satisfied with anything. Oh, you're wrong about that. She liked the present I gave her this morning for Mother's Day. Say, today is Mother's Day. What'd you give your mother, Dennis? Oh, something she's always wanted. So I had them made for her. A set of dishes. And every dish is shaped like an L. Well, why would your mother want all her dishes L-shaped? When she throws them at my father, in case she misses, they come back to her. <laughs> L-shaped dishes. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of. Yeah, she hasn't missed in 20 years. <laughs> that I can believe. What did you get for Mother's Day, Mr. Benny? Dennis. <laughs> why? I mean, why should I get presents on Mother's Day? It's in our contracts. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Gee, I don't know what to get you for Labor Day. You'll think... <laughs> You'll think of something, Dennis. Now, Dennis, what song are you going to do on the program this afternoon? Well, I thought I'd sing I'd Give a Million Tomorrows. Well, good. Now, run over it once for me before the rest of the gang gets here for rehearsal. Yes, sir.
did you like it, Mr. Benny? That was fine, Dennis, and it will probably sound even better, you know, when you... Come in! Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Well, summer must be just around the corner when you come to rehearsal in a bare midriff. <laughs> well, at least it's comfortable. Yeah, but it must be very inconvenient. And what do you mean, inconvenient? No place to carry a gopher. <laughs> Dennis, I still. But you know, Mary, Mary, I think those, uh, I think those bare midriffs are a little immodest. And... Immodest? Why, everybody out here wears them. Well, my girlfriend Gladys doesn't. That's not modesty. She doesn't want to show her tattooing. <laughs> tattooing, tattooing. One little battleship and you make a thing out of it. The only reason you girls rest like that is to attract attention. You should talk after what you did at the beach last Thursday. You should have seen him, Dennis. <laughs> oh, Mary, please. He put on a pair of flame-colored swimming trunks and shaved the hair on his chest to spell out Gorgeous George. <laughs> Mary, I was only having a little fun. After all, you can't Say, just... Say, boss, I... Oh, hello, Miss Livingston. Hello, Mr. Day. Hello, Rochester. What is it, Rochester? I just finished cleaning the attic and I found your birth certificate. My birth certificate? Give me that. I'll be back in a minute, Mary. I'm going to put it down in my vault. Gee, Mr. Benny sure seemed upset about Rochester finding his birth certificate. Well, Dennis, that's understandable. You see, Mr. Benny is a big star, and people in the public eye must keep their private affairs a secret. I guess you're right. But how old do you think Mr. Benny is? I don't know, but when the pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, the first words they heard were, hello again. <laughs> Say, Dennis, have you signed your new contract yet? No, my mother doesn't like some of the clauses. And besides, she thinks it ties me up for too long. Well, how many years does Jack want you to sign up for? It doesn't say. The clause just reads, for better, for worse, till death do us part. <laughs> what? I don't know whether to sign it or give him his ring back. <laughs> well, I guess I'd sign it. After all, we do have a very bright future. You have another show, Phil has another show, and when Jack opens his swimming pool for the summer, I have the towel concession. <laughs> so you see, Dennis, we're really not... Say, so Mary, Mary, I happen to look out the window and there's an express trunk out in front of the Coleman. I wonder what's going on. Well, Jack, didn't you know Ronnie and Benita are leaving for England tomorrow? Gee, I didn't know that. So they're going to England, eh? Yes, and this will be your last chance to go over there and explain to Ronnie what happened to his Oscar. You're right, Mary, but gee, I just haven't the courage to face him. Maybe if I... Get that, will you, Mary? Okay. Hello, Mr. Benny's residence, star stage, screen, and radio. Mary the Towel Girl speaking. <laughs> oh, hello, Liv. What are you doing at Grant's tomb? <laughs> Bill, where have you been keeping yourself? I haven't seen you for a couple of days. Just came in from Salton Sea. I went out there with Guy Lombardo when he tried to break the speedboat record. Gee, that must have been exciting. Yeah, it was, Livy. You should have seen Lombardo's boat. It's 25 feet long, and you ought to see that motor. Really? Yeah, what a sound when he opened her up. 1,300 horsepower going boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Bill! Bill, what'd you call for? Do you want to speak to Jack? Yeah. The queen bee in the hive? <laughs> oh, just a second. I'll call him. It's Phil, Jack. He wants to talk to you. Okay. Hello? Hiya, Dad. <laughs> hey, 
Sammy just called to tell you I'm going to be late for rehearsal. Late? Why? Well, Sammy, my drummer just got married, and he asked me to stand up for him. Well, I hope you made it. <laughs> so, Sammy, Sammy finally got married, huh? Was it a nice wedding? Yeah, everything went along swell. Except that just five minutes ago, Sammy took a punch at Remley because he caught him kissing a bride. But Phil, at a wedding, you're supposed to kiss the bride. I know, but he caught Remley doing it last night. <laughs> Stop switching old jokes, and I hope that they didn't spoil the wedding. No, no, everything went off fine. What a classy affair, Jackson. The church was filled with flowers. Everybody was dressed beautiful. Then suddenly a hush fell on the crowd. And the bride and groom walked slowly down the aisle as the organ plays. That's what I like about the South. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. Phil, you mean to say the organ and the wedding, the organ play, that's what I like about the South? Well, what did you expect at a wedding? Tiger rag? <laughs> no, I guess not. Unless two tigers are getting married. <laughs> Anyway, Phil, hurry over as soon as you can, will you? I'll be there. Goodbye, Dad. Goodbye. <laughs> Phil's going to be a little late, kid, so as soon as Don comes, we'll start the rehearsal. Look, Jack, before we start, don't you think you ought to go over to Ronald Coleman's house and apologize to him for losing his Oscar? Well, that can wait till next week. But he's leaving for England tomorrow. I can't help it. This whole thing was Coleman's fault. Coleman's fault? Certainly. This never would have happened if he hadn't won the Oscar in the first place. <laughs> Believe me. Mr. Benny's right. Certainly. Mr. Coleman should be smart and make pictures like the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> Darn tootin'. Anyway, Mary, it wasn't my fault that the Oscar was stolen from me. I know, Jack, but the least you can do is go over and explain the whole thing to him. Well, okay. I'll go over to the Coleman's after rehearsal. Gee, I hope he's not too angry. <laughs> Finished packing, Ronnie? I will be in just a minute, Benita. You know, darling, I'm really thrilled about our trip. Yes. Ah, to be in England now that James Mason's over here. <laughs> oh. oh, Ronnie. <laughs> Hurry and finish your packing. Well, it won't take long. I hope we have a nice crossing. How's the weather on the North Atlantic this time of year? Mm, it's rather cold and windy. Oh, I'd better take a pair of the long ones. <laughs> uh, say, Benita, did you call the newspaper office and tell them to forward our copies to London? Oh, no, that'd be silly. They have all the news in the English papers. Well, they don't have little orphan Annie. Yes, they do. Only they call her their parentless Penelope. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Day. Isn't it a shame you haven't got the Oscar to take to England with you? Oh, darling, please. My doctor told me not to discuss that. <laughs> well, don't give up hope yet. Why don't you go over and speak to Jack Benny? I mean, the Oscar must be around someplace. Things don't just disappear. Oh, they don't, eh? Nine years ago, a gas man went into Benny's house and hasn't been seen since. <laughs> Now, let's, let's forget it. All right. I'll help you finish packing. See, you'll want to take these shirts. Oh, 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 Benita, careful. I I'll pack those shirts myself. That's quite all right. I don't mind helping. Here, let me put them in. Um, I... Ronnie, Ronnie, look what fell from between these shirts. Your Oscar. Yes, yes, so it is. Well, 
certainly don't seem very surprised at finding it. Uh, Benita, let's finish the packing. Hmm? There's something very peculiar going on. When did you get your Oscar back? Uh, well, we'll discuss it on the boat, darling. We'll discuss it now. Tell me everything. All right, but I, I don't know all the details myself. I'll have our chauffeur tell you. Oh, Eddie. Eddie, will you please come in here a moment? Ronnie, you've had the Oscar right in this house, and you let Jack Benny suffer all these weeks? Yes. Ha, ha, ha! Life can be beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm... I'm sorry you, you discovered it so soon. I could have made Benny... You, uh, you wanted to see me, Mr. Coleman? Oh, yes, Eddie, yes. Uh, Mrs. Coleman has discovered our little secret, and I want you to tell her the whole story about the Oscar. Oh, that. Uh, well, you see, ma'am, Mr. Coleman was pretty fed up with Jack Benny's constant borrowing. So the night he borrowed the Oscar, Mr. Coleman tipped me off and told me what to do. While I went out in front of the house, I was hiding behind a tree. And when Mr. Benny came out of your house and walked down the... Hey, Bud. Bud. Huh? You got a match? Yes, yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. Mister, put down that gun. Shut up. I said this is a stick-up. Now, come on. Your money or your life? <laughs> Look, Bud. I said your money or your life. I'm thinking it over. <laughs> now, look. Look, mister. And I'll take that package you're carrying, too. This package? But it isn't mine. It belongs to Ronald Coleman. He won't. Lay down and give it to me or I'll drill you. All right. All right. Here it is. Now, lay down the sidewalk and count to 100. Yes, sir. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten. And that's exactly what happened, ma'am. And when I brought the Oscar right in the house and gave it to Mr. Coleman. Well, thank you, Eddie. You may go now. Yes, sir. Well, don't stare at me like that, darling. It was time Benny was taught a lesson, and I'm glad I did it. Ronnie, that was an awfully mean thing to do. And I love you for doing it. <laughs> I'm glad you see it my way. Uh, Benita, are you sure the express men picked up all the trunks? Yes. Now let's finish these valises and then we'll... Um, uh... Look, look, answer the door, will you, darling? I'm trying to close this bag. All right. Oh. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Benita. I heard you were going to England, so I brought you this as a going-away gift. Oh, what a beautiful bouquet of white roses. You really like them? Why, they're my favorite flower. In fact, I have a bush of them right over the... this morning. <laughs> well, I was afraid that while you were in England, they might wither and die, you see. So I... Uh... Who's at the door, Benita? It's Mr. Benny. He's come to say goodbye. Goodbye. Ronnie's in the other room. Well, well, almost packed, I see. Yes, Jack, and tomorrow we'll be on our way. Ronnie, I thought on the boat, uh, you know, time might hang heavy on your hands, so I brought you this book. Here. 
Well, thank you, Jack. Nice of you to return it. <laughs> and, and that isn't all I brought, Ronnie. See, I've got something here for both you and Benita. A carton of Lucky Strike cigarettes. A carton of Lucky Strikes? And you'll love them. They're so round, round Ronnie, and so firm, <laughs> Benita, and so fully packed, Ronnie. And so free and easy on the Oscar. On the draw. <laughs> On the draw, the draw. Yes, yes, I know, I know, Jack, I know. LSMFT stands for Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes, yes, you must have heard that once. And quality of product, you know, is essential to continuing success. Here you are, Ronnie, here are the cigarettes. Thank you, Jack. How much are they? A dollar... Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, Ronnie, Mary told me not to. <laughs> By the way, Benita... I want to give you a little advice. What's that, Jack? Well, while you're in England, if anyone wants to sell you any cashmere, tweeds, or woolen, grab them because they're a good buy. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> no, no! Wait. Look, I... I might as well... Ronnie, I might as well tell you the real reason I came over here. A real reason? Yes, Ronnie. I... Uh, I know you won't believe this, but the night I borrowed your Oscar... I was held up. No. Cross my heart and hope my swimming pool loses money this summer. <laughs> and Ronnie, after losing your Oscar, I was so embarrassed, I did everything I could to avoid you. I was afraid you'd see me. I practically lived in hiding. Every Sunday, I had to sneak out of my house down to NBC. Then after my broadcast, I'd sneak out of the studio. Well, didn't you always do that? <laughs> <laughs> Only on Sundays. <laughs> Well, Jack, you know, it's funny you should be held up practically in front of our house. Oh, it was a harrowing experience. You'll never know what I went through to protect your Oscar. Would you like me to tell you about it? We'd, We'd love to hear it. Well, the night I borrowed your Oscar, I left your house and was walking down the sidewalk, humming in my usual carefree way. Hey, bud, bud. Huh? You got a match? Yes, I have one right here. Don't make a move. This is a stick-up. A stick-up? Put down that gun, or by heaven, I'll make you rue the day that you were born. <laughs> Put it down, I say! Now, take it easy, mystery, you'll get hurt. I'm not alone. I have a ferocious lion here. A lion? That lion doesn't scare me. Quiet, you, I'll slap your teeth in. Take that! And now for you, tough guy. Please, mister, please don't hurt me. Hey, fellas, come here. Help! Why, you sniveling, white-livered, cringing coward. Take that. Hey, fellas. Fellas, he knocked me down. Come on, help me. Okay, chief. Here we come. This guy's a tough one. We'll have to use our last resort. Give it to him. <laughs> mm. It was a long time coming, but... Mm. Rocket bombs stunned them a little. Come on, fellas. We better get out of here. That was the last thing I heard, Ronnie. When I came to, all 500 of them were gone. And so was your Oscar. But I really did my best to protect it. Ah, uh, stout fellow. I protected that Oscar with my life. That sounds pretty good, Johnny, but it ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> what? Look, Jack, I might as well tell you. You can stop worrying about the Oscar. It was returned to me. Who? How? 
When, what, how, how, who, who? who? All right, now, Jack, don't ask any questions. The important thing is I got it back. Well, that's wonderful. Gee, I've never felt so happy in my life. Now, look, Ronnie, if you had to give a reward to get the Oscar back or ran into any other expense, don't worry. You're insured. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Come on, Ronnie, we've got to finish our packing. Uh, Pardon me, Mr. Coleman. Do you want me to take the Felicia's out to the car? Uh, Yes, Eddie, and be sure to see that the... Benita! Look, that's him! The man that helped me out! Jack jumped right through the window. And look at him run. Gee, Mr. Coleman, I'm sorry I frightened him. He certainly left in a hurry. Yeah, he sure did. I'll take his shoes back to him in the morning. (laughs) Ronnie, Ronnie, ferocious lion. (laughs) Rocket bomb. Jack, we'll be back in just a minute, but first here's Basil Rysdale. Independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. The famous Crossley poll has just completed an impartial survey in 11 southern tobacco states. This poll, taken among tobacco experts, reveals the smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco. Yes? For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike first choice over any other brand. These are the experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. And we believe their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Luckies. You've heard the poll results. Now, listen to what Mr. Alexander Irvin, veteran warehouseman from North Carolina, recently said. For a good many seasons, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine, ripe, mellow tobacco. The kind of tobacco you just can't beat for smoking quality. I've smoked Luckies for 14 years. So, for your own real, deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T! L-S-M-F-T! Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Good night, folks. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Faye and Phil Harris. for hair that is dreamy soft like moonlight and glistening with romantic highlights use Fitch's new cream shampoo. Fitch cream shampoo leaves hair romantically soft and shining. That's because it's made with two beneficial beauty aids, purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin is used to soften your hair to help overcome dryness. Olive oil is used to bring out sparkling highlights to make hair glisten 
as though it had been brushed and brushed and brushed. And Fitch Cream Shampoo is so simple to use. Just a dab billows into clouds of rich lather in hard or soft water. To rinse, a swish of plain water and every trace of suds disappears. After shampooing, your hair is wonderfully soft, a joy to arrange. Fitch Cream Shampoo is economical, too. Compare its size, compare its low cost. Buy it at drug and toilet goods counters. That's Fitch Cream Shampoo for hair that's soft like moonlight, shining like bright starlight. The F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents the Fitch Bandwagon, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Today is Mother's Day, and Phil has decided to make it a real holiday for Alice. And now as we look in, Phil and the children are surprising Alice by bringing her her breakfast in bed. Good morning, honey, and happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. Oh, thank you, girls. Good morning, Phil. Phil, what have you got on that tray? A surprise. I made your breakfast, and I'm going to serve it to you in bed. You made my breakfast? Yes, sir. And what a breakfast. It's real Southern style. Orange juice, toast, ham hocks and eggs, hominy grits, black-eyed peas, candied yams, and turnip greens. Thank you, Jefferson Davis. <laughs> Girl, did Daddy make you eat a southern breakfast, too? Yowza, he all shown up then, Hey, Alice, you're gonna love this food. Wait, I'll take the napkin off the tray and show you a really appetizing sight. There. Oh. <laughs> Phil, aren't you overdoing this southern stuff a little? Black-eyed peas, hominy grits, turn... Wait a minute. What's this? Picture of Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Do I have to eat that, too? Of course not. That's your Mother's Day present from me. <laughs> and, Mommy, there's a present on your tray from Phyllis and me. Oh, oh, what lovely handkerchiefs. Thank you, babies. We wrote a poem for you, too. Daddy helped us. Go ahead, Daddy, you read it. Okay. <clears throat> to you on Mother's Day. <laughs> Roses are red and violets are blue. Dear old mother, we love you. <laughs> Though your brow is all furrowed and wrinkled with care, we love every thread in your graying hair. Graying hair? Please, I'm not finished. As you sit in your rocker close by the wall, your little gnarled hands are knitting a shawl. <laughs> Hands. After all you have done, we want no other, so we say thank you, Whistler's mother. <laughs> well, how'd you like it, Ma? Mighty fine, Pa. Now if you'll hand me my teeth, I'll make a speech. <laughs> That's quite a poem, Phil. Yeah. 
And honey, I got another surprise for you. I'm going to make this a real Mother's Day for you. I'm going to do all the work around the house, and you're going to do nothing but lie there in bed all day. But, Phil, I don't want to lie in bed. Don't argue. This is your day, and you're going to do it whether you want to or not. <laughs> now, you eat your breakfast, and I'll go in and make the children's beds. Hey, kids, want to come in and help me? You'd better leave them here to feed me. I don't know if I can lift the spoon with my gnarled hands. Okay, I'll do it myself. I'll make the beds, and then I'll vacuum the rugs. And now, if you'll excuse me, I must get to my beds. <laughs> Gee, wasn't hard cleaning these rugs at all. This attachment on the vacuum made it a cinch. Well, Phil, how are you doing? Swell, honey, swell. I just finished. I vacuumed and I made the beds. I know. I just remade them. You're a fine-looking mess. What have you got on your head? Dust cap. <laughs> How'd I look? Oh, adorable. You look simply scrumptious in your dust cap, apron, and high-button shoes. <laughs> Maybe you'd better let me take over, Phil. No, I'm doing all right. I just vacuumed these rugs, and look at the way they shine. Shine? Oh, Phil, you used the wrong attachment. You waxed my rugs. <laughs> don't worry, it'll preserve the nap over the summer. Anyway, honey, I don't mind... Uh-oh, I'll answer it. Oh, you're not going to the door dressed like that, are you? Sure, I look okay. Oh, hello, Frankie. Well, if it ain't John's other wife. <laughs> Cut the comedy. I'm just dressed like this to help Alice out. You look fetching. All right, all right. <laughs> what are you doing here? I came over to put the lug on you. I need some dough. No, you don't. <laughs> nah, nah, Buster. You ain't getting any more money out of me. Well, it ain't for me, Curly. See, today's Mother's Day. I need the dough to make a long-distance call to my mother. Oh. Well, that's different. It's a nice gesture. Yeah, she's a swell old lady. She's out of this world, Curly. Yeah, I know. I know how you feel, Frankie. <laughs> and if you want to call her, I'll lend you the money. How much you need, pal? $500, chum. <laughs> 500? How far out of this world is she? <laughs> Where does she live, on Mars? Don't be ridiculous. Mother lives in Tibet. <laughs> She's the High Lama. Money to call Lynn. Stop that, will you? Now look, if you want some Phil, money, you Phil, go. It's getting close to lunchtime, and I... oh, hello, Frankie. Hi, Alice. Happy Mother's Day. You having a nice day? Oh, wonderful. Phil has taken over the household duties for the day. He made my breakfast, and I got some lovely presents. Oh, really? What'd you get? Well, the children gave me some beautiful handkerchiefs. What Curly give you? Robert E. Lee and heartburn. <laughs> Make yourself at home, Frankie. I have to go in and do the breakfast dishes. No, you don't, Alice. Frankie and me will do the dishes. Won't we, Frankie? No. <laughs> I ain't gonna wash no dishes. I'm liable to get dishpan hands. Then I wouldn't be able to play the guitar. The way you play the guitar, you could do it with your feet and nobody could tell the difference. <laughs> 
Now, come on. I'll wash and you dry. I don't want to. Oh, stop grumbling. Well, I'll make your work a little easier. I'll sing to you. What do you want to hear? Don't make no difference. The way you sing, everything sounds the same. <laughs> Watch your little tongue, Remley. Remember, you're talking to the master. Now, look, one more crack out of you and I'll barbecue you like Nebuchadnezzar. What's a Nebuchadnezzar? You don't know? Hold my dish rag, son, and I'll tell you. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. There was three children from the land of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They took a little trip to the land of Babylon, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego, he took a lot of gold and made him an idol, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. And he told everybody when you hear the music of the cornet, and the flute, and the harp, you must fall down and worship that idol, Shadrach. Meshach Abednego. But the children of Israel would not bow down, Shadrach. Shack Abednego, you couldn't fool them with the golden idol. Shadrach, me, Shack Abednego. I said you couldn't fool them with the golden idol. Shadrach, me, Shack Abednego. So the king put the children in the fire furnace. Shadrach, me, Shack Abednego. And he heaped on the coals and the red hot brimstone. Shadrach, me, Shack Abednego. Seven times hotter, hotter than a lot of beef. Meshach Abednego. Burn up the soldiers the king had put down. But the Lord sent an angel with white snowy wings down in the middle of that furnace. And they talked to the children about the power of the gospel. Shadrach, Meshach Abednego. Well, they couldn't even burn a hair on the head of that Shadrach, Meshach Abednego. Laughing and talking while the fire was jumping. Shadrach, the Lord was on their side. Old Nebuchadnezzar called Hader when he heard the power of the Lord. And they had a big time in the house of Babylon. Shadrach. Shadrach. Meshach Frankie? Yeah. See there, they're all done. It was a cinch. I don't know why women make such a fuss about doing a dish. Me neither. Now that we got them all washed and dried, what are we doing? Let's glue them together and put them away. <laughs> I think it'd be easier if we just swept them under the sink. No, no, she'll... You know, Curly, we broke quite a few of these. I don't know if Alice... Well, how are you fellas coming with the dishes? Oh. Oh. Oh, no. My good china. Oh, Phil, please stop. You're ruining my house. All right, all right. Gee whiz. I don't think you even appreciate what I'm doing for you. I made your breakfast, I did the beds, I vacuumed the rug and washed the dishes. In the course of which you ripped two sheets, ruined the rug, the dishes, and my stomach. <laughs> Phil, if you really want to make this a happy Mother's Day for me, 
Forget the housework and just take me out to dinner tonight, huh? Oh, but honey, I... Now, please, please. I'll go call Chilius and make reservations at the Brown Derby. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> oh, Frankie. Now, Alice is spoiling my whole Mother's Day. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to do everything for her. But it ain't working out that way. I know. Gee whiz, I... W I wish I could think of something that she'd really appreciate. Yeah. Hey, Curly, I got it. If you want to do something big, something that she'll appreciate, don't take her out tonight. Stay home and you cook the dinner. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sure. Gee whiz. You know something? She'd love an old-fashioned southern cook me... No. No. She had that for breakfast, and I don't think her little Yankee stomach could stand one more corn pone. <laughs> well, then don't make it southern. Make her a real fancy meal like you get in a high-class French restaurant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, like Chambord's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Alice goes for that French food, but I don't know nothing about that kind of cooking. I do. Between us, we'll cook her the best French meal she ever had. Where's Alice's cookbook? It's in that cupboard next to the stove, well, let's right get up it. there. Oh, I... wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the matter? Now, look, Remley, are you sure that you know what you're doing? You know, you can kill people this way. <laughs> oh, really? Stop worrying. I'm a great French chef and a connoisseur of good food. I can tell. Hey. Hey, Alice already has something cooking on the stove. I must say it smells delicious. It does, huh? Yeah, and I know good food when I smell it. Mmm. <laughs> what you got cooking in that big pot? The laundry. <laughs> she flavored it then. No, I can see you're a connoisseur. You're going to know a lot about this. No, I'll be all right. Don't worry about it. Oh, here's the cookbook. I'll just turn to the chapter on French dishes. Yeah, here it is. Hey, here's something that sounds very good. Yeah? <laughs> Boulebets avec poison de la mer. <laughs> How would you like that? I'd rather have the laundry. <laughs> what is that you just said? How do you make that? You don't know how to make boule beans? <laughs> you do? It's simple. You get a couple of good, juicy bulls and you baze them. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Wonderful. Yeah, sounds good, but I don't think we can do it. Why not? We ain't got a bull in the house. <laughs> Someone's a bad housekeeper. All right, give me that book, Remley. I'll look for myself. Let me see now. Not like that. Hey. Hmm? Here's something that sounds good. What? Boof a la Versailles. <laughs> you know something? We got all the ingredients we need to make that? Well, let's get started. Okay. Now pass me a Versailles. <laughs> Curly, Versailles is a French city. Oh. How about this booth? Is that a city, too? Of course not. A booth is a female bull. 
don't you think this room's a little too small to cook a female bull? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Look, maybe we better look for an animal we're more familiar with. Okay, well... Hey, wait a minute. Hey. Hey, here's something at the bottom of the page we know about. Turkey. Yeah. And look, they tell you several different ways to serve it. We can have turkey glace, turkey de lions, and turkey turin the page. <laughs> That's turn the page. <laughs> Touring the project. Oh, Maurice. No, don't bother looking any further, Curly. During my many years of experience as a French chef, I found there's only one way to serve turkey. And that is turkey de la chanson à la montre. How's that? Dead. <laughs> oh, turkey a la rigor mortis. That's a little... <laughs> Alice will love turkey the way I prepare it. I'll get started right away and I'll have it ready in no time. It'll be a rich golden brown stuffed with chestnut dressing oozing with delicious gravy. No. I can see it on the table now. That you? No. <laughs> What's the matter? Ain't you got no imagination? I ain't got no turkey. <laughs> it might slow me down a little. Well, we can't buy one at the market. It's closed today. Hey, wait a minute. There's a turkey ranch here in Encino. I know the owner. I'll call him and tell him to send one over. Okay, Frankie. Now, look. What? Tell him to send over the biggest bird he's got, and the I'll biggest. invite us his family. I'll have Alice's family all over, and, and, hey, look, you can stay, too. Okay, Curly. I'll call him right away. And you better go in and keep Alice away from the kitchen so we can surprise Don't him. Don't worry. I keep her occupied. Go ahead. And they meant you. Just for me. Ah, oh, gee whiz. Go ahead, Alice. Sing it again, will you? But, Phil, I've already sung it for you eight times. Why do I have to sing it again? You thrill me. No, Alice, go ahead. Sing it again, baby, will you? All right. The first time he's ever asked me to do this. You were meant for me. And you, and when she was done, you were all the sweet things rolled up in one. You're like a plaintive melody that never lets me free. For I'm content, the angels must have sent you, and they meant you just. Never lets me free 
That guy really sent over a big turkey. Never seen one so big before, but if we're having a lot of people for dinner... Hey, Frankie, that guy bring that turkey over here? Yeah. Good. Is he a big bird? Medium size. How much does he weigh? 54 pounds. <laughs> 54 pounds? I gotta see that thing. Where is it? Right there on the floor. Yeah. Holy smoke. Why did you order anything that size? It looks like an ostrich. Oh, you're exaggerating. It ain't that big. It ain't. If it had a beard, it would look like Man Mountain Dean. <laughs> look, Curly, it's all we got and we'll have to use it. It's already dressed. All we got to do is pick it up off the floor and put it in the oven. I tell you, it'll be Harris, a... the Harris are just... <laughs> hey, what's that dead horse doing on the camera? <laughs> It ain't no horse, grocery boy. It's a turkey. This is a turkey? <laughs> That's the biggest beast I've ever seen. Nobody's asking you. All right. Come on now, Frankie. Let's put it in the oven. Right. Hey, wait. Hold it. Just a minute. Hey, before we put it in there, now, is there any stuffing in this bird? I don't know. Guy said it was dressed, so I guess that means there's stuffing in it. <laughs> yeah, but how can we be sure? Why don't one of you crawl in and see? <laughs> I wonder how stuffing a la Julius would taste. <laughs> now, come on, Curly. We better get this bird cooking. Help me carry it over to the oven. Carry it? Are you kidding, Wilbur? You couldn't move that thing. That thing's too heavy to carry. Maybe we can roll it over. No, we might break the legs off. Maybe we can wax the floor and slide it over. Why don't you put a saddle on it and ride it over? I wonder where a guy goes to get shots against this kid. You stop yapping, Julius, and if you're going to stay in here, help us. Now, the three of us ought to be able to lift it. Frankie, open the oven door. Okay. Now, look, Julius, you grab the front end, and Frankie and me will grab the back end. You ready, man? Yeah. Lift. Hey, let's get this thing in in a hurry. It's heavy. All right, all right. We'll rush it in. Now, close the oven door fast so it don't jump out again. Come on, Julius. Back up fast. Get on. Whew. Well, we got it in, Curly. Hey, you guys, let me out of here. <laughs> Holy smoke, we shoved Julius in by mistake. The turkey's lying on the floor. Let me out of here! Let me out of here! Uh, what do you think? Oh. <laughs> uh, you think we could get away with it, Hansel? <laughs> Worth a try, Gretel. <laughs> okay, turn it up to 500 and we'll see what happens. Oh, all right, all right.
right, Frankie. Maybe you better let him out. You love right. to get Come on, kid. Get out of there. Get what out. What are you, a couple of wise guys or something? <laughs> what are you kicking about? You got a nice tan. <laughs> All right, kid. We're sorry. So come on out. Now help us lift this turkey in. All right. Now once more. Together now. One, two, three. Heave. <laughs> now I'll turn the gas on and let it cook. This bird looks kind of tough. It might take a little longer than usual. Look, fellas, as long as we already have the dinner started, I'm going up and tell Alice what we're doing, huh? Okay, Curly, I'll turn the oven up as high as it can go. Fellas, it's 8 o'clock already, and I'm starved. When do you think that kangaroo will be done? You said it would be ready at 6. Well, it's a little tougher than we thought. You tested it at six. Was it still hard? Why don't you look at it again, Alice? All right. How's it coming, honey? The turkey's still hard, but the oven's getting soft. Phil, <laughs> I'm not going to wait any longer. You're going to take me out to dinner. I am not. This is Mother's Day. It's your day, and you're going to do as I say. <laughs> We're not going out to dinner, and that's final. Ah, there. Oh, boy. Now, was this a delicious turkey dinner or wasn't oh, it? Oh, sure was, Curly. It was the best turkey dinner I ever had. How'd you like it, Alice? Oh, I must admit it was wonderful. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, you want anything else, honey? Oh, no, thanks. I couldn't eat another thing. Oh, me neither. Well, let's get away from the table. Okay. Hey, waiter, bring me the check, please. <laughs> Tonight, the Fitch Company announces a brand-new combination offer to give you dandruff-free hair and easier shampooing. Offer includes Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo and a handy five-foot rubber spray for rinsing. Both are available at a big savings to you. You get first regular-sized bottle of Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo, the only shampoo guaranteed to remove both unsightly and unseen dandruff with the first application. Second you get the rubber spray for easier rinsing when shampooing or in the bath. Spray has a five-foot hose with adjustable faucet attachment. Special design prevents splashing, saves time and energy. You can feel it doing a better job of rinsing as the 91 needle-like jets of water stream through your hair and over your scalp. For dandruff-free hair, use the extra-long spray with Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Yes, for dandruff-free hair and quick, thorough shampoos for your whole family, get Fitch's shampoo and spray combination offer now. Regular $2 value, only $1.19. That's right, a $2 value for only $1.19. At all drug counters, ask for Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo and spray combination offer. Available for limited time in United States only. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. Don't 
For dandruff-free hair and easier shampooing, get Fitch's Shampoo and Rinsing Spray combination offer right away. Offer includes Vitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo and the Handy Spray for Rinsing. A $2 value, only $1.19 for a limited time only. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Guys, listeners, this is Buck Benny coming to you again for another week of Jack Benny shows. Well, I thought I'd talk today a little bit about last week's show, the house construction show. I do so love that show, and you know that already. But, uh, thought I would mention that um, my favorite line in there has got to be Frank Nelson when he says, um, when they're saying the, I think they're saying the front hallway, why is it in the back? And and his response is, ooh, I should get a zero for that. I thought, <laughs> I just think it's great. I didn't even know they said I should get a zero for that back in 1938, but... I guess they did. So uh, there's just a lot of good lines in that in that episode, and and I loved the whole bringing Dennis along just added a whole nother dimension to it between Jack and Mary and Dennis and fun stuff. Oh, and I uh, back uh, two weeks ago when we had the Snow White and the Seven Gangsters episode, the one person I didn't mention very much in that podcast was. Um, Andy Devine, he did such a, a fun job with his role in that skit, and then at the very end when they have him singing with Mary, and then uh, he, his voice starts to break and she hits him with the with the bucket from the wishing well, I just love that whole image that you get from there. Um, it's perfect Mary and it's perfect Andy Devine, great show. Now this episode the end of the episode is good and solid and everything but the beginning of this episode is just amazing to me you always benefit on this show when the characters respond in character and they usually do and you also benefit when they're funny but when they're funny and in character it really, really is awesome. And in this skit, every single, not the skit, but at the beginning of the episode, every single piece of dialogue spoken by anyone is in character and funny. And it's always taking you in different directions about Jack and this racehorse that he's buying. And I just think it's fabulous. And then you also get something that you don't get in later episodes. You get um, Phil Harris and Don kind of exchanging some banter back and forth. It just feels so organic that it just adds to the humor of the whole situation and the whole thing just goes along at a great clip. I do have one thing that I would add that I think is even actually funnier. If I was to rewrite the episode, <laughs> dealing with Phil Harris and his lines at the end. But I'll share those next week because I don't want to give you a spoiler for this week's episode. I try my best, as you noticed, maybe, to not give away too much 
just kind of get you excited about the episode, but then let the episode tell itself. The following week, if I really want to, I'll go back through and mention some specifics from the episode. But uh, I think it's kind of humorous that <laughs> I need to include, like, spoiler things um, for shows that are 60, 70 years old. But anyway, it's fine. Um, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Awesome episode. The Jell-O Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with Life Begins When You're in Love. always that you can have delicious things to eat and to save money at the same time, but sometimes you can. And Jell-O makes the most attractive desserts and salads you ever tasted, and Jell-O is amazingly inexpensive. It costs only a few cents a package. One package serves the average family generously, and they love it. Jell-O is America's favorite gelatin dessert, and no wonder. For only Jell-O brings you Jell-O's delicious extra-rich fruit flavor. Strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. All six are packed with that ripe fruit goodness, fresh and tempting and satisfying. So for that extra rich fruit flavor, and for one of the most economical desserts you can serve, be sure to get genuine Jell-O. Don't accept any substitutes. Look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. begins when you're in love, played by the orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you a man who has joined the ranks of Hollywood turfmen and bought himself a racehorse, Jack Benny. Thank you. Hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, I don't know where you pick up all this information about me. Now, how did you find out that I bought a racehorse? Well, Jack, I was talking to Bing Crosby the other day, and he just happened to mention it. Oh, yes, Bing knows about it. As a matter of fact, I've been trying to put my horse in Crosby's stable, but it's too crowded there. Why, Crosby has an enormous stable. There's plenty of room there for your horse. All right, then he wanted too much money. <laughs> I wouldn't pay him $80 a week to board my horse if he sang it to sleep every night. <laughs> Oh, I'll find another place for him, all right. Oh, I'm sure you will. Oh, and Jack, uh, you know, I'm a pretty good rider, so if you ever need a jockey, think of me. <laughs> I've got a horse, Don, not a 20-mule team. <laughs> Why, your shadow alone would break his back. Say, Jack, how'd you happen to buy a racehorse? You don't know anything about horses? I don't, eh? Well, it might interest you to know, Phil, that I was kicked in the face at the age of 10. <laughs> By a horse? Yes. How did that happen? Well, my father sent me out to feed him, and it was dark in the barn. 
Now, believe me, fellas, I know plenty about horses. <laughs> but why this secrecy? Why didn't you tell us about your horse before? Well, I didn't want people to think I was showing off or doing it for publicity. You know how modest I am, you know? <laughs> yeah, what's the name of your horse? Buck Benny. <laughs> And you're going to hear from that, baby. If I'm any judge of thoroughbreds, he's going places. Well, uh, tell us more about it, Jack. Is it a yearling? Uh, what's that, Don? Is it a yearling? Uh, well, it's a sort of a back bay color. <laughs> with a with a black spot on his nose. Oh, you don't understand, Jack. Is it a yearling? In other words, how old is it? Oh. Oh, oh, it, it, was, two, it was two years old in January. So I wish you'd talk a little plainer, Don. I didn't quite get you there, you know? <laughs> But it's a real thoroughbred, and I know. By the way, Jack, who's your horse's sire? What is that, Phil? I said, who's the sire? The sire? Yes. Well, I am. I paid for the horse. <laughs> what a silly question. Gee, Phil, you don't know what you're talking about, do you? I don't, eh? Well, let's see what you know. Is your horse a gelding or a filly? A what? Is it a gelding or a filly? Is it a gelding or a filly? Is it a gelding or a filly? <laughs> Trying to be smart, making up words. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not making up words. Is it a gelding or a filly? In other words, is it a boy or a girl? It's a horse. <laughs> My goodness, you're just a dodo if there ever was one. You won't be so smart when he wins the Irish sweepstakes. Well, have you got me. a trainer for him, Jack? A trainer? No, I just bought him a rowing machine. That'll keep him, That'll keep him in shape, all right. A rowing machine? Well, that settles it. You don't know any more about horses than I know about music. Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't know anything about horses, eh? I used to be a trout. A trout? Yes, a trout, and I gave out plenty of good tips, believe me. You're a fine turf man. Yeah. How many legs has your horse got? My horse has four legs, Smarty. How do you know? I bought him a blanket with two pair of pants and shut up. <laughs> Believe me, I'm sorry the whole thing came up. Hello, Jack. For heaven's sake, what's the matter now? Well, what would it be? Phil and Don found out that I bought a racehorse, and you can guess the rest. Have you boys been picking on Jack again? Oh, don't interfere, Mary. I can fight my own battle. Why, you fellas ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Jack knows more about horses than both of you put together. Yeah. He even tried to get Lady Godiva for a jockey. <laughs> I did not. Then why did you put blinkers on the horse? <laughs> oh, you're just making things up, that's all. So you've seen that nag of Jack's, huh, Mary? Oh, sure, a couple of times. Well, is it a good horse? Uh, what does it look like? Looks like any minute two men are going to step out of it. <laughs> It does not. It's a fine-looking steed. It is. And gee, fellas, you ought to see the way Jack pampers that horse. Pampers him? <laughs> what do you mean, Barry? Jack bought him shoes with art supporters. Now, look, fellas, Mary's giving you the wrong impression. Now, here's a picture of him, Don. He's a pretty good-looking animal, isn't he? Say, he is at that. Yeah. Hey, Jack, let me see that picture, will you? Here you are, Kenny. What do you think of him? Oh, boy, he's a beauty. Looks pretty fast, doesn't he? I'll say he does. But why is he laying on his back? <laughs> Kenny, turn the picture around like this. There. Well, I'll be darned. He got up. Yeah. 
He does all kinds of tricks like that. Now, go ahead and sing your song, Kenny, and give me back that picture. Say, wait a minute. Let me have a look at that. Here you are, Phil. Well, is that a real horse or isn't it? A good-looking animal, all right. But wait a minute. What's this stamped on the back of the picture? Where? Right there. It says Man of War. Man of War? Well, that's the name of the photographer, Joe Man of War. <laughs> He's a Greek fella. Oh, sing, Kenny. He, I must have picked up the wrong picture. <laughs> singing, I fall in love with you every day. That was a beautiful number, Kenny, and a very romantic thought. Thanks, Jack. And dedicate that song to your horse. To my horse? Why? Well, I'm mad at my girl. Oh, oh. A little snip. <laughs> Kenny, gee, I never saw a kid like you, always getting a new girlfriend and then picking a fight with her. What's the matter with you? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'm just a gorilla. <laughs> Kenny, you're a simian, but not quite a gorilla. Well, he's young yet. Yeah. And now... And now, ladies and gentlemen, going from the zoo to our play, tonight we are going to present what we think is an... Oh, out- Jack, Jack, pardon me for interrupting, but I just noticed that your shoelace is untied. My shoelace? Oh, so it is. Thanks, Don. Excuse me a minute, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, while Jack is bending down to tie his shoelace, why don't you skip out and buy yourself a package of Jell-O? Oh, so that's your little trick, huh? It comes in six delicious flavors, strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Hurry back now. Ah, folks, what other program starts on a shoestring and ends up with a plug? 
Don, that was a very clever ruse. Now, as I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, for the first time this year, we are going to offer our annual murder mystery. We feel that this will be a high spot in the career of the Benny Federal Theater Project. <laughs> so now we will present a deep, dark mystery entitled Murder in the Library, or Book March the Spot. <laughs> Gee, isn't that clever, folks? Uh, and I thought of that all by myself. You laughed all by yourself, too. <laughs> Now, wait a minute, Mary. That was a very funny title. I can't help it if our studio audience didn't get it. But I'll bet our listening audience liked it. We did not. <laughs> now, in our little drama, which will go on immediately after the next number, the cast of characters will... Uh, pardon me, folks. Come in. Hiya, Buck. Hello, Sandra. Well, well, if it isn't Damon and Pythia. <laughs> well, I haven't seen you two fellas in weeks. Where have you been keeping yourselves? Oh, we've been pretty busy, Buck. Me on my farm and Schlepp on his. Oh, that's right. Schlepp did buy part of your farm. How's it going, Schlepp? Have you planted anything yet? Yes, but believe me, Zick, it's no good. I'm having plenty of trouble. Well, that's too bad. What's the matter with it? I struck oil last week and it ruined my potatoes. <laughs> Oil? Why, that's great, isn't it? What kind of oil is it? Banana oil. He's trying to sell that property back to me. Oh, well, I don't blame him if it isn't good land. Well, he shouldn't complain. I gave him a rock-bottom price on it. Yes, that's all I got was rocks. Our cactus wouldn't grow there. Well, naturally, Slep, you got to clear the land first. You know, break up the rocks and cart them off. Say, what am I, a chain gang? Well, you just don't know anything about farming, that's all. Is that so? I'm a good farmer. A fine farmer. He bends over in front of goats. <laughs> he does? Now, listen, Mr. DeWine. <laughs> what about those rabbits you sold me? Oh, fine rabbits. Well, what about it? I sold you two of them, didn't I? That's the trouble. I still only got two. Now, wait a minute, boys. Wait a minute. Look, boys, you can settle your own troubles when you get home. Let's talk about something else. Uh, tell them about your horse, Jack. Oh, yes. You know, fellas, I bought a racehorse. Uh, that's right, Buck. I heard about that. Hey, I'll bet you he's a regular pumpoonie. Yes, he's, he's all right, but I'm having trouble finding a place to keep him. Oh, why don't you keep him on my farm, Buck? I got a nice pasture for him. Keep him on my farm. I'll dye the rocks green. <laughs> Well, that's a good idea. I'll tell you what I'll do, fellas. I'll split it between you. Andy, I'll let you feed him for seven days. And Schlepp, you can feed him for seven days. How's that? <laughs> what are you laughing at, Mary? Promotes to matches in one week. <laughs> Never mind. How does that strike you, boys? Now, wait a minute, Buck. If I were you, I wouldn't let Schlepperman have that horse. Why not? He'll put rockers on it and give it to his kid. Well, I'll take a chance. Now, you, you each get him for one week, and I want you to take good care of him. He's a very delicate animal. Well, leave it to me, Buck. I'll take him first. Now, wait a minute, Henry. I want him for the first week. No, sir. I got to have him right now. I got a lot of plowing to do. <laughs> oh, that's fine for my racehorse. Say, how much are you guys going to charge me? Don't worry about it, Jackie boy. If he wins the Kentucky Derby, you'll break even. I thought so. Now, come over here a minute, boys. We'll talk this little deal over and down. 
Uh, play something, Phil, while I do a little dickering. Now, look, boys, my... Phil Harrison as Orkster. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we will present our thrilling, baffling, spine-tingling melodrama entitled Murder in the Library or Book Marks the Spot. <laughs> Gee, I love that. Boy, are you corny. <laughs> Go away, Mary. Now, I will play the part of Police Captain O'Benny, as brave a blue coat as ever wore bulletproof undies. <clears throat> Phil Harris and Kenny Baker will be my brave, loyal, and stupid assistants. Here's your badge, Phil. Okay, Chief. Here, Kenny, here's your badge, your uniform, and your club. Okay, where's my flat feet? On the opposite end of your flat head. Oh, that's right. Hmm. <laughs> now, Mary Livingston will play the part of Mrs. Sugar Clunkenbush, a much-married society woman who makes a hobby of collecting husbands, guns, and life insurance. Gee, do I have to kill all my husbands? You've already killed seven of them, Mary, and there's just one left. Oh, one little husband sitting on a fence. Boom, boom, boom. I shot him in the pants. Well, I suppose that wasn't corny. I suppose you didn't write it. Quiet. Now, the part of the butler will be played by Don Wilson, who has been in the service of Mrs. Clunkenbush for about... Uh... Oh, Don, how long have you been with Mrs. Clunkenbush? It'll be uh, six husbands in October. I think. <laughs> And now for our play, folks. The scene opens at police headquarters where we find Capo Benny very busy playing solitaire. Curtain. Music. Hmm. Now let's see. There's the jack of clubs. Here's a seven of hearts. I'll put that on the jack. No, I won't do that. That would be cheating. Or should I? No, I won't. Hey, Cap. Yeah? What's the idea of playing solitaire with handcuffs on you? I don't trust myself. I need the ace of spades, and it's up my sleeve. 
I'll get it for you. Oh, no, you won't. Why, you dirty crook, I ought to put you in jail. Now, let's see. Is that the phone cap? It ain't a Swiss vaudeville act. <laughs> Capo Benny speaking. Yes, sir. What? You say your wife ran away eight months ago. Oh, why didn't you report it sooner? Oh, you wanted to give her a good start. What? No, don't worry. I won't rush. Goodbye. Now, let's see. The six of hearts goes on the black king. Oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. But how else can I win? Oh, Cap! Cap! What is it, Sergeant Baker? Somebody's been passing $41 bills all over town, and I've got one of them. A dollar bill, eh? How do you know it's phony? Washington is wearing Lincoln's beard. <laughs> hmm. Let me see that. You're right, and he's wearing Lincoln's hat, too. You think that's something? Turn the bill over. Good heavens, Carol Lombard is sitting on the eagle. <laughs> nice work, Baker. We gotta report this to Washington. Can you get any more of these bills? Yeah, my uncle makes them. <laughs> Your uncle? Well, you better tell him to stop or else. Hey, Cap, Cap, what is it, Harris? You know the prisoner in cell 21 that sent his suit out to be pressed? Yes. Well, he was in it. I'll wait for that one. All right. Hang out the vacancy sign and don't annoy me. Mm, I'll take it. Hello, Capo Benny speaking. What? A murder? Yes, yes, hold everything. We'll be right over. Hey, fellas, what do you know? We've got a murder. Hooray! We've got a murder. We've got a murder. Yippee! I knew we'd get one if we waited long enough. Come on, fellas, let's go right over. Where are we going, Chief? To, uh, oh, darn it, I forgot to get the address. Gee, I hope they call back. That's a fine how-do-you-do. We wait around all year for a murder, we get one, and you lose it. Wait, I know. It must be Mrs. Clunkenbush on Park Avenue. She married her eighth husband two months ago, and he's about due for his lead anniversary. <laughs> Come on, boys. Let's go. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Go to 215 Maple Street. Man beating up wife. That is all. Mm, man beating up wife. Make a note of that, Sarge. I got it, Chief. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Go to 215 Maple Street. She's beating him up now. That is all. Mm. <laughs> Tear up that note, Sarge. Okay, Chief. Calling all cars. Calling all cars. Go to your nearest grocer and ask for a package of Jell-O. That is all. Mm. <laughs> well, I see our police department finally got a sponsor. <laughs> This is the house right here. Baker, you break down the door. Okay, hold my banana. <laughs> I told you a thousand times not to eat on the job. Now break down the door. Let's give him a hand, Harris. Ready, set, go. Well, we've got that down. Here comes somebody now. Did you ring, gentlemen? Ring? No, he didn't. We're the police. Who are you? I'm Blimp, the butler. <laughs> Blimp, the butler, eh? Yes, and I didn't do it. You didn't do what? Goodness, haven't you heard? We think Mr. Clunkenbush has been murdered. What makes you think so? Well, he's in the library reading a book, and he hasn't turned a page in three days. Make a note of that, Sarge. Gotcha, Chief. Can I make a note, too? Quiet. Now, tell me, Blimp, where's Mrs. Clunkenbush? Right this way, gentlemen. She's out in the garden, burying the gun. Oh, burying the gun, eh? Her husband is murdered, and she's out in the garden, burying the gun. 
What do you make of that, Baker? She doesn't need it anymore. <laughs> now you're clicking, you cluck. <laughs> Come on, Glenn, take us to Mrs. Clunkenbush. Right this way, you bums. Come on, then. Aha! We got you this time, Mrs. Clunkenbush. Oh, how do you do, Captain? I've been rather expecting you. Oh, you have. Now there's no use stalling, Clunky. <laughs> Your butler, Blimp, broke down and confessed. Blimp broke down, eh? Yes. I knew I should have filled him with helium. <laughs> now, listen. You just buried a gun in this garden, didn't you? I buried a dagger, too. Oh, so you not only shot your husband, but you stabbed him, too. Yep, I got the daily double. <laughs> well, you've gone too far, Mrs. Plunkenbush. You've had eight husbands in four years, haven't you? What about it? And they all met untimely death. Take your first husband, the big game hunter. You went on a hunting trip with him, and he's the first thing you shot. Well, he looked like a gazelle. That's no excuse. And your second husband. Uh, you mean Pasquale? Yes, Pasquale. You no sooner fell in love with him than we found him laying on the floor with an arrow in his back. You did that. Could have been Cupid, you know. That's what you told the jury. And your third husband was killed, too. What happened to him? All I did was slap him on the back. Yes, but he was leaning out of a penthouse window at the time. <laughs> And what about your fourth husband? Oh, this is getting boresome. It is, eh? Oh, hello, Filthy. I didn't see you standing there. Hello, sweetheart. Sergeant Harris, do you know this woman? Yes, we're engaged to be married. I'm going to be her next husband. Well, congratulations and rest in peace. <laughs> now, let's go in and look at the body. Hey, Cap, Cap. What is it, Baker? I was in the library just now, and I don't think Mr. Cluckenbush is dead yet. How do you know? I went to reach for his pulse, and he shook hands with me. <laughs> Well, let's hurry up in there. Imagine a man shot and stabbed and still alive. There he is, Cap. Mr. Clunkenbush. Mr. Clunkenbush, how do you feel? A little drafty. <laughs> well, I shouldn't wonder. Now, tell me, can you name the person or persons who tried to kill you? Why, of course I can. I was here at the time. Then tell me exactly what happened. Make notes on this, Harris. Okay, Chief. Now, go ahead. Well, I was sitting here in the library reading a book. Uh-huh. When all of a sudden, the door behind me opened. Yeah. So I turned around and said, free me, see the party state. Of course, I couldn't tell the race of the I said it rain at all. And I figured I was going to save the race of the state. And right at the time of the race of the yeah. great beat, who was spending? Oh, it was ghastly. <laughs> the man must be hysterical. Now, Mr. Conkenbush, say that again and slower. This is important. All right. I was sitting in the library reading a book, and my receipt of all the sentence Oh, she center. came in. Don't even say that I was Oh, she didn't come in. No, I was in a sentence. Oh, she came in. Oh, he's delirious now. He's getting weaker. Quick, get him a glass of water. Here you are, Captain. Thanks. Now drink this, quick. How do you feel now? Oh. Good heavens, he's dead. Mrs. Clunkenbush, what was in that glass of water? Well, I only put in a sapsaw sapsaw, and then I was a sapsaw sapsaw, and that's the truth. Move over, Clunkin' Bush. I'm tired. Play, Phil. Everybody loves homemade ice cream. Ice cream that's rich and creamy smooth. Grand ice cream. And here's a new and better way to make it. It's made with Jell-O freezing mix and made just perfect. For Jell-O freezing mix is a wonderful new product that gives you ice cream that's velvety and rich. It has a beautiful creamy texture that's simply grand, and it's amazingly quick and easy to prepare. Open a can of Jell-O freezing milk, 
Add milk and some whipped cream and turn the mixture into your freezing trays. Stir only once during the whole freezing process and take out six servings of delicious ice cream. One of your favorite flavors will be rich, smooth chocolate, the chocolate flavor that can't be beat. Then there's maple walnut, real vanilla, and fruit flavors that are real fruits in their own sweetened juices, strawberry, tutti-frutti, and orange pineapple. There are six luscious flavors in all. If your grocer hasn't any in stock, he'll be glad to order it for you. So ask him tomorrow for Jell-O Freezing Mix. Uh, this is the last number of the 33rd program in the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time when we will present our version of David O. Selznick's outstanding film production, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. So be sure and listen in. And guess who's going to be Tom Sawyer, folks? No kidding, Jack. Are you going to be Tom Sawyer? Of course I am, Mary. See, do you think you can have your face lifted by next Sunday? I think so, yes. Good night, folks. <laughs> J-E-L-L-O. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>